Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the world-famous Amblex Test Prep Podcast. My name is David. I am your host on this wonderful, fabulous, amazing journey through the through the world of the massage and bodywork licensing exam. So a couple quick updates before we begin. I have been working on more textbooks, more study guides. Not necessarily going to tell you which ones they are, but if you were happen to say... Um, you know, an updated 2020 version of the MBLEX test prep study guide, you might be right. Um, it is, these are all in the works, planned for release soonish, around 2020, kind of over the next six months. I've got, I've got lots of books that I'm looking to release, so I'll keep you updated on those. A few of those, uh, maybe like four, four of those that I'm planning on releasing are specifically designed for massage therapy or something really close to massage. It's something that you as a massage student could find some use in. So I will keep you updated when those are um, released or close to being released or whatever. I don't know. You'll find out when you find out. Um, however, I do have one book that I want to tell you about. It is Pathology for Massage Therapy. I have written a pathology book. It is now done. It is out in the open, out in the wild. You can go get it right now. Just go to Amazon.com, type in Pathology for Massage Therapy. It'll come up. Uh, look for my name, as always. With any book that I write that you were looking to buy, look for my name. If you don't see my name, it's not my book and... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just that easy. Look for my name uh, with the book, associated with the book. Uh, so Pathology with Massage Therapy. It's a little similar to the Emblex uh, section, the Pathology section in the Emblex book, but I go over pathology in much greater detail. I go over the healing process and different types of diseases, and I go over so many more diseases and conditions than in the Emblex book. It's about 300... 316 pages long, uh, as opposed to in the Emblex book, it's about 80 or 90 pages worth of pathology. So you're, you're getting like three times the amount of pathology with that book. Um, so definitely, if you are looking to learn more about pathology, not just for the Emblex, but I mean, this is a great reference book too, for when you are done with massage and out in the in the workforce applying your trade, uh, it's a great reference book for that too. So you cannot go wrong with that. It'll it'll keep you up to date on on all the stuff that you need to know as a massage therapist. So head over to Amazon, look for Pathology for Massage Therapy. You can't miss it. Again, look for my name. Okay, so uh, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will get started. Welcome back. I am so glad you decided to stay. Uh, okay, so we are going to get started. Now, just I want to preface this. I am outside currently. It's such a beautiful day out. I, I thought I would record a podcast outside. So if you hear some ambient sound, uh, that's why. Uh, so let's uh, let's get started. Just just thought I'd throw that out there. So today we're going to talk about. Now this is a request. So if you have any requests for podcasts that you'd like me to do, just hit me up, uh, send me an email, 
or a message on Facebook. Uh, my email address is david at mblextestprep.com. Uh, really easy, really, really easy. Uh, or you can go to facebook.com slash mblextestprep and hit me up there. Find, find me, send me a message. Let me know uh, what you would like me to discuss on the podcast. And if it's something I feel is worthy of podcasting, I will definitely get to it. So this is a request. I cannot remember who specifically requested it. I know it was a while ago. It was like a month ago or something. Um, but this episode, we're going to talk about origins, insertions, maybe actions and innervations as well. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about going over every single muscle and saying this muscle originates here and this muscle originates here. How boring would that get? Uh, a lot of people have trouble remembering which is which, an origin versus an insertion. So we're going to talk about it and really try to, to get it nailed down in your head. Which is which and um, hopefully that can help you on your exam. No, I'm. You're probably not going to get asked a, a very specific question like, "What is the origin of this muscle?" Um, yeah, like I like I've said, the MBLEX, a lot of it is kind of scenario based, so it'll it'll give you like this person does this, and then this happens. And then this happens as a result of that thing happening, and how are you going to respond to that? Now, the reason we go over origins and insertions, even though a lot of the questions on the MBLEX are scenario-based, is you have to use your critical thinking skills. You have to know what muscles perform what actions. So it all starts in those scenarios with, say, like an action. Like, what action is this person performing? So you think you that immediately gets the uh, the muscles that you need to know for that question down to a small amount, right? If you know what muscles perform what specific action, you only have to focus on those specific muscles, okay? And then it'll go from there. It, it, it might ask you a further uh, or give you more information about a, a an action that a muscle specifically does like this muscle or this person is specifically doing this. So you think about that activity that they are doing, like carrying something heavy. Uh, think about you carrying something heavy and how you would do it. You say, okay, if I'm carrying something heavy, I'm pulling up on my scapula, right? So that, uh, pulling up on the scapula, that's elevation of the scapula. So then I'm thinking about which muscles elevate the scapula. Then it might say something about retracting the scapula as well. So I'm thinking about muscles that elevate and retract the scapula, and that pretty much narrows it down to just one, right? Trapezius, trapezius. Okay, so so again, even though you're not going to get questions saying which muscle originates specifically on this point, you still need to know where muscles originate and where muscles insert and where actions are, are taking place. Okay, so let's get started. I know that was kind of a long-winded explanation why we're, we're doing this instead of the long-winded or, or extra long-winded, this muscle originates here and inserts here. Like that's, yeah, that's just not going to hold your attention. Okay, here we go. So muscles have origins and they have insertions. Some muscles have multiple origins. Some muscles have multiple insertions. Some, some muscles have both multiple origins and multiple insertions. Okay, so let's, the majority of the muscles that you're going to be possibly asked about are muscles that 
are part of limbs. So let's kind of focus on those. So muscles on limbs, the origin is always going to be more proximal than the insertion. So the origin is going to be closer to the midline of the body, closer to the rest of the body than the insertion. Okay, so an origin is where the muscle begins, right? Originate. Say like a, I don't know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to think of uh, an example really quick. Um, I don't know. You get it. You know what an what an origin is. Like uh, I don't know. You get you gotta you watch a movie and let's say uh, oh the Spider Man movies. Those are perfect examples. How many how many of those movies do you see Spider Man actually turning into Spider Man? Right. That's the origin story of Spider Man. That's the beginning. It's where his story starts. Okay. So that's that's an origin. So an origin. It's where the muscle starts. The insertion is where the muscle ends. Now, in 99% of muscles, the insertion is where the action takes place. Okay? So the origin doesn't move. So when, we, when our muscles insert onto a bone, when the muscle contracts, and you should definitely listen to the muscle contraction episode of this podcast. It was, hold on, I can tell you. It was episode 13. Go back a few episodes uh, and listen to that. That's a very important podcast. You should definitely listen to that one. So when a muscle contracts, it's going to, unless it's an isometric contraction, it's going to move a bone in some way. It's going to pull on a bone because muscles attach to bones, right? Or muscles attach to tendons, which attach to bones. Okay, so when the muscle contracts, it pulls on the tendon that's attached to that bone, and then the bone should move in some way. Okay, so let's let's use a muscle that we should be familiar with. Let's use the rectus femoris as an example. Okay, so the rectus femoris crosses two joints. It crosses the hip, a couple other names for the hip joint, the coxal joint or the iliofemoral joint. Uh, just know both of those, coxal or iliofemoral. So it crosses the hip and it crosses the knee. So when a muscle crosses a joint, it's going to take an action on that joint in some way. Okay. So because the rectus femoris crosses the hip, it's going to move the hip in some way. Because it also crosses the knee, it's going to move the knee in some way. Now, it doesn't mean they both move at the same time. I mean, they can. Like when you are, I don't know, kicking something, uh, you, you're definitely moving that both of those joints at the same time, right? So, the rectus femoris originates on the anterior inferior iliac spine, which is part of the pelvis. But it doesn't move the pelvis, right? So it's... It only moves joints that are distal to where it originates. 
Okay, so it originates on the pelvis, but it doesn't move the pelvis. The only thing it really does to the pelvis is if that muscle is too tight, it can, it can contribute in tilting the pelvis anteriorly, which can give you lordosis. Okay, uh, but other than that, it doesn't, it doesn't have any influence on the pelvis at all, and that's only if it's hypertonic in some way. Okay, so the muscle, rectus femoris, originates on the anterior inferior, inferior iliac spine, the uh, part of the pelvis, okay, but it doesn't move the pelvis. It crosses the hip joint, so it will move the hip joint. It crosses the knee joint, so it moves the knee joint, and it inserts onto the tibia at the tibial tuberosity. So an insertion is where the muscle ends, okay? So just think about the rectus femoris, where it starts all the way up at the hip. So you got the point of the hip, right? You should be able to palpate that, then just go uh, maybe an inch below that, and that's where the anterior inferior iliac spine is. That's the the origin of the rectus femoris. Then you can follow that muscle all the way down the thigh till it crosses the knee, joins with the patellar tendon, crosses the knee, and inserts on that big bump on the tibia, on the anterior proximal end of the tibia, the tibial tuberosity. Okay. So, again, it starts on the pelvis and ends on the tibia. And if you want to exchange those terms, you can. Origin can be the start. Insertion can be the end. Okay? So it starts on the pelvis and ends on the tibia. Originates on the pelvis and inserts on the tibia. So when that muscle contracts, it will pull on the tibia. And when it pulls on the tibia, you have to imagine, um, you have to visualize that muscle in your head. How, how is that muscle going to get shorter? Well, when that muscle contracts, it's trying to shorten, okay? So how are we going to shorten that muscle? What action is going to take place with the rectus femoris specifically that gets it to shorten, Okay. So when that muscle contracts, it wants the insertion to go towards the origin. So when it contracts at the knee joint, it's going to extend the knee. It's going to straighten the knee. And that's going to bring the insertion closer to the origin and shorten that muscle. So when we are, like, let's say our hip is extended like we're stretching out our hip flexors, right? We gotta gotta extend our hip quite a bit. That's taking the origin away from the insertion, and that's going to stretch the muscle. And when we contract the muscle, it's going to bring the insertion towards the origin. So you're going to flex the hip and extend the knee. I mean, possibly extend the knee. Again, you can you can do either of those actions without without having both of the actions take place, if that makes sense. Okay, so the origin is where the muscle starts. The insertion is where the muscle ends. So the origin is always going to be more proximal than the insertion. The muscle will cross at least one joint, because there would be no reason to have the muscle unless it crossed a joint. Muscles are meant to move the body in some way, and a muscle can't move anything unless it crosses a joint in some way, okay? 
so let's use uh, let's let's do another example just to make sure we we understand the difference between the origin and the insertion. Okay, so let's think about um, how about uh, we'll we'll do a muscle that crosses only one joint. We'll do the brachialis. Okay. Now, I did, I did go over the brachialis in another podcast, The Muscles of the Arm, which is episode 11. So definitely check that one out as well. I kind of go over all about that muscle. The origin, where that muscle starts, is the anterior distal shaft of the humerus. Okay, So think about your humerus. Think about which side of the humerus is the anterior side. Think about which end of that bone is the proximal end or the distal end. Okay. The distal half of that bone is going to be further away from the rest of the body, from the core, the trunk of the body, than the proximal end. Okay. So we have the anterior distal shaft of the humerus. It's, it, it would be so much easier if this was a visual medium. Unfortunately, you kind of have to figure things out yourself. Okay. So the anterior distal shaft of the humerus. It crosses the elbow joint and inserts onto the coronoid process of the ulna and the ulnar tuberosity, which are pretty much the most proximal things on the anterior surface of the ulna. Okay, So it's kind of a short muscle. It's a really strong muscle, though. So again, the origin is more proximal than the insertion. So the origin... It's the anterior distal shaft of the humerus, and then it goes further down and inserts onto the ulna, which is more distal. Okay, And that muscle does cross that joint. It crosses the elbow, so it's going to take an action on the elbow. And when that muscle contracts, it will flex the elbow, put the elbow into flexion. So again, the origin, or the insertion, when that muscle contracts, is being pulled on by the muscle. The insertion is being pulled on by the muscle to bring the insertion closer to the origin. Okay. Notice the origin. Nothing happens to the origin. It's uh, that part of the muscle is really stationary. It doesn't do anything. It's not moving the humerus in any way, right? So because it only crosses that one joint, it's only going to move that one joint. So again, when brachialis contracts, it's going to bring the insertions, the, the coronoid process and the ulnar tuberosity, closer to the origin, the anterior distal shaft of the humerus. Okay, So with origins and insertions, specifically muscles that attach to the limbs, the origin is always more proximal than the insertion. When we contract those muscles, it brings the insertion towards the origin. So the distal end of that muscle goes towards the proximal end of that muscle. Okay, So that's the difference between an origin and an insertion. Origins do not move 99% of the time. Uh, an example of the 1%, um, if the insertion of the latissimus dorsi is uh, kind of stabilized, not it's not moving at all, 
um, the the insertion is up on the humerus. So let's let's say that that part of the muscle isn't isn't moving. Um, then the origin can become the insertion, and it can move the pelvis, if that makes sense. So it's only when the normal insertion is unable to move that the origin of that muscle will move. And again, it's it's a really rare occurrence that that happens, so don't <laughs> try not to overthink it too much. Um, okay, so we'll just recap that again really quickly. The origin, a muscle that attaches to the limb, the origin is more proximal than the insertion, so it's closer to the rest of the body. The insertion is more distal than the origin. It's further away. Okay. The origin doesn't move. The insertion will pull on the bone where it attaches, and that will produce some sort of movement. Okay. So origins don't move. Insertions move. Okay. And I, I don't really think I need to discuss actions. I mean, actions are kind of... Uh, Self-explanatory, aren't they? I mean, we'll go over actions in another, like the specific definition of each muscle action in a different podcast. But in this, muscle, uh, an action is just what a muscle does, what, what movement is being performed by the muscle. It's the actions. Okay? Innervation refers to the nerve that stimulates the muscle, the, the nerve that provides the electrical activity that allows the muscle to actually perform an action. Okay, so I again, I did another podcast I will reference you to. Uh, let's see, where is it? <laughs> it's in here somewhere. There it is. Um, episode 8, I covered the spinal nerves, and I go over the uh, muscles that are innervated by the spinal nerves in, the, in that episode, so definitely listen to that one gives you kind of a, a good idea of what the nerves actually are. Okay. So the spinal nerves innervate spinal or uh, skeletal muscles. So like brachialis um, and rectus femoris, those are skeletal muscles, and they are innervated by spinal nerves that come out of the spinal cord. Okay, so again, innervation, all that means is the nerve that stimulates it. That's it. Okay. And for anyone that cares, doesn't really want it, okay, whatever. Listen to the Spinal Nerves podcast, but just a quick recap. Brachialis is innervated by the musculocutaneous nerve, and rectus femoris is innervated by the femoral nerve. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's essentially it. That's the difference between origins, insertions. You should know what actions are and what an innervation is. Again, go listen to the Spinal Nerves podcast if you have further questions about innervations. Okay? Uh, and I do have a podcast about uh, synergists and antagonists. So definitely listen to that one as well. And then you get the overall picture of kinesiology, uh, what goes into it, etc. Okay, and that's episode six, so definitely check that out. Okay, so uh, I'm going to take another quick break. When we come back, uh, question of the week. Welcome back. It is now time for question of the week. Okay, so 
let's get started. An antagonist to the biceps brachii is A. Coracobrachialis B. Brachialis C. Pronator teres D. Pectoralis major So let's read that question one more time. An antagonist to the biceps brachii is A. Coracobrachialis B. Brachialis C. Pronator teres D. Pectoralis major Okay, so, first thing first, now that we've read it a couple times, we need to identify the key words, okay? So, the key words, antagonist, so we've identified that it's looking for the muscle that performs the opposite action of the other key word, biceps brachii, okay? So, it's, it's really easy to confuse biceps brachii with biceps femoris, right? I know, I know you've done it, I, I've done it. In, in the past. Uh, I've had several students do it. So always, always make sure that you know which biceps is being discussed, okay? So we are looking specifically for the muscle that performs the opposite action of the biceps brachii, okay? So that's one of our test-taking techniques that we've done. So just think about the biceps brachii. You have to know what the biceps brachii does in order to get this question correct or, or increase your chances of getting this question correct, okay? So what does the biceps brachii do? I mean, obviously, it flexes the elbow. Everybody, know it flex, everybody knows it flexes the elbow. That's just, just one thing that everybody knows the biceps brachii does, okay? So immediately, just because I know that the biceps brachii flexes the elbow, I can eliminate any, almost any, <laughs> one specific muscle that flexes the elbow, and that's all it does, okay? So already, I can eliminate B brachialis. It's gone. Okay, because that's not that's not an antagonist. They do the same thing, so they're synergists, right? Okay, so brachialis gone already. Our chances of getting this question right are up to thirty three percent instead of twenty five percent. So we were already at a much higher. Um, we have a much higher chance of getting this question right just by eliminating that one answer. So practice eliminating answers. Okay. So that leaves us with coracobrachialis, pronator teres, and pectoralis major. So what else does biceps brachii do? Now, of course, everybody knows flexion of the elbow, right? I only see one muscle in here left that flexes the elbow. The others move the shoulder. Huh, this is weird. Does biceps brachii do anything to the shoulder? It does, as a matter of fact. Biceps brachii flexes the shoulder. Okay. Now, here's, here's one of these questions where there are actually multiple right answers, but one is more correct than the other. Okay. So, biceps brachii flexes the shoulder. Then we have two other muscles left that also flex the shoulder. Does coracobrachialis flex the shoulder? Does pronator teres flex the shoulder? Does pectoralis major flex the shoulder? Coracobrachialis and pectoralis major both flex the shoulder. Okay, 
So coracobrachialis, I'm going to eliminate that also. Okay, that's out of there. So that leaves us with proanator teres and pectoralis major. Now, here's, here's the tricky part. Like I said, this question has multiple right answers, and you've got to be able to pick the most correct answer. Okay, so biceps brachii does flex the shoulder. It does flex the elbow. Okay, pronator teres also flexes the elbow. Pectoralis major also flexes the shoulder. What else does biceps brachii do? It is the prime mover in what action? It's not elbow flexion. That's brachialis. Biceps brachii also supinates the hand. You don't believe me, just, just perform that action and palpate your biceps. You can feel that contracting. Biceps brachii supinates. Okay. So that right there should give you the answer. The opposite of supination is pronation. So the answer is C, pronator teres. But wait, didn't I say that this had multiple right answers? I did. Okay. Pronator teres is the more correct answer because biceps brachii does supinate. Okay. Pectoralis major does flex the shoulder, just like biceps brachii. However, pectoralis major does actually extend the shoulder as well, but only if the shoulder is already flexed. Okay. So the shoulder has to be already in a flexed position, and then it'll assist other muscles in bringing the shoulder back down into extension. So once, once the shoulder is back at the anatomical position, just about, it stops extending the shoulder. So it's not, the pectoralis major is not going to pull the shoulder all the way back like a muscle like uh, latissimus dorsi would, okay? So it's only going to extend the shoulder when the shoulder is already flexed. Like stick your arm uh, straight up like you're, like you're, like somebody just kicked a field goal, you're saying it's good, or touchdown, right? And then palpate your pectoralis major and then start to bring that shoulder back down. You should feel that muscle start to contract to a point, once it gets past, I'd say once it gets past about 90 degrees, that muscle stops contracting, stops reforming extension. Okay, So yes, it is an antagonist to the biceps brachii, but only in a specific um, set of circumstances where pronator teres is just an antagonist, period, because it pronates the hand instead of supinates, which is what biceps brachii does. Okay, so just keep that in mind. There are questions that have multiple right answers. One is more right than the others, and that question is a specific example. So again, an antagonist to the biceps brachii is pronator teres because it pronates and biceps supinates. Okay. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode, episode 17, the big one seven. 
so again, I do have study guides available. Just go on Amazon.com. You can look for my name, David Merlino. It's Merlin with an O at the end. Uh, just search for MBLAX Test Prep or, well, maybe not. Just look for my name on each book. Uh, you'll, know it's, you'll know it's me. You see my name. Um, please don't buy my competitor. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, just look for my name. I promise you're getting a quality product with my name on it. Um, if you have purchased any of my books, please leave a review of those books on Amazon.com. Uh, every review goes a long way towards helping me build this platform and make a living and providing for my family. And I appreciate every single review. Uh, means the world to me. Thank you very much. Uh, so please just go do that really quick. It only takes five seconds. Please just go do it. Please, please. And um, other than that, like I said, I'll keep you updated on the new books as they become available. Uh, give it another month or two. I should have a few books uh, ready to go in the can for sale. So just keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. It is a podcast, not a visual. Keep an ear out. We'll go with that. Um, and until later, this is David saying farewell. Farewell.